Okay, stop the tape, please. Welcome to We Are Weezer. My name is Rachel and I'm your host. Uh, my co-host Juliet and I, we usually, this is a mini episode, but usually um, we dig around and find details on your favorite Weezer songs. We do one per show. We go on the internet, go to page 10 or 11 on Google, find out all kinds of fun facts and details and give you a summary. We also rate and review the song with our special rating system. And sometimes we do Weezer news, confessional, or some other kind of fun topic. And sometimes we even have a guest host. Today is mini episode, or should I call it perfect situations, episode number 10. The people voted and the name of our minis is Perfect Situations, so that's what we'll be calling them from now on. I wanted to let you know today was supposed to be a full show and uh, a very special show, but we had a little bit of an issue. So instead of leaving you hanging, we're going to give you our mini episode number 10, which is part two of our Brian Ewing interview episode. And I interviewed Brian Ewing for episode number 41, The World Has Turned and Left Me Here, but we had so much fun talking, there was a lot of content, so I decided to make a couple minis out of it, and this is number two, so please enjoy. What about some of your early, your earlier stuff? What was your inspiration there? Oh man, for me it was like in high school. Uh, again, I went to the Milwaukee High School of the Arts in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and um, we had an audition to get in. It was kind of like if you ever saw the movie Fame. It was like that, <laughs> but low rent. I guess it wasn't as like we didn't have. It was a public school, so there wasn't a lot of like money being thrown at it. But I grew up on like. When I was a kid, I worked at a comic book store for a couple of years. It's the only job I ever got fired from, which is pretty funny. Um, <laughs> so I was heavily influenced by comics, and then I used to skateboard all the time. So I was influenced by that. And then at the same time, as a teenager, I'm trying to discover who I am and where I'm going. And I did that through music, you know, listening to music, not playing music. And I grew up on a lot of really terrible heavy metal and punk rock and stuff like that and so all that really influenced who i was because all of it was visual 
you know, comic books, uh, skateboarding, the graphics and the magazines with all the ads of the graphics and then uh, music with like T-shirts and album covers and stuff like that really, really shaped who I was. And I didn't realize that until like I'm answering this question. It's kind of bizarre. Mm -hmm. You know, you never like, I don't know. It's (laughs) I could name off like 600 artists that are influences for me, you know, but I think narrowing it down to those genres makes more sense. Right collections of types. Um, You recently exhibited at Five Points Fest, Life is Beautiful, New York Comic Con, and Designer Con. What's Designer Con? Is that just, is that advertising or is that actual like design for homes? (laughs) I'm thinking like designer. God, I wish. Can you know how much money? (laughs) It makes me think uh, of like modern furniture i don't know <laughs> no, it's, it's more um you know like kid robot toy tokyo oh, okay. um, giant robot uh so it's like designer toys and art you know so i'm fortunate that because i don't draw comics i'm just considered like an underground artist or a poster artist or something like that and then um so did you go for met you went for metacrypt yeah. So I have a, uh, a toy company with a good friend of mine, Justin Jewett, called Metacrypt. And I get to show off two parts of my personality, which is the rock poster stuff and the vinyl toy stuff. And we started that six years ago, and we just celebrated our six-year anniversary a couple of months back at DesignerCon um, with our... I'm going to screw this up. It's either our 16th or 18th release. I don't remember. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so for me, DesignerCon basically is a lot of visual art and like street art, stuff like that. And then, you know, prints and then uh, designer toys, which is a lot of fun. So people like Coop, Frank Kozik, Tara McPherson, like you'll see them there. And then a ton of other artists too. And they do a lot of advertising for the event, which I really appreciate uh, because it will hopefully become a big thing. Because I used to do San Diego Comic-Con. I did that for about 16 years and every year it got more and more expensive and I made less and less money. Like 2017 was my last year and a booth cost about $3,500 and it cost me you know, a thousand dollars ship all my stuff, and then it cost me airfare, and then it cost me, you know, to have a place to stay. And if you're lucky, you would break even, you know. And it became one of those, why do I stress yeah. myself out, you know? So Designer Con is, and Five Points Fest also. Five Points Fest is like the East Coast version of Designer Con. Is a more affordable way for me to still exhibit and meet people and get freelance work and stuff like that. Um, Doing these conventions are really important because it gives you a chance to have a dialogue with people. Because when you post shit on Instagram Mm -hmm. or whatever, you have a newsletter, you're not really having a dialogue. You know, you're just going, look at what I did. And for five minutes, they might. And then they go on to something else. Here, I think one of I'm lucky to say, like, it's not because of my good looks. It's got to be because, or, you know, I don't even think I'm that talented. It's more of uh, when clients or people ha- uh, get a chance to talk to me, they get it, have a good experience. And they either want to hire me, hang out with me, or uh, support me in some way. So doing these conventions becomes very important. And getting feedback, because people are like, yeah, you know, I really like this piece. And I get a chance to show them the stuff that I'm working on that I can't post yet and just be like, don't tell anybody. Or 
I'll be like, hey, you know, I'm starting to switch up my style. What do you think of that? And, you know, some people will be honest with me and I really appreciate it because it's not always positive. They'll just be like, yeah, I don't get it. I don't like it. It's too dark. It's not dark enough, that kind of thing. And it's a very scary thing to do, but I, you know, I'm glad I, I get a chance to to have a conversation with people about it. Mm -hmm. Well, and sometimes um, going back to Weezer on this, but asking other people's opinions, it's helpful and it can be helpful, but sometimes it's, it's, it can seem overwhelming and like you can't change your whole process or whatever, because this, you know, somebody or multiple people didn't get it. You know what I mean? Well, you just have to only pay attention to people that are being constructive uh, if someone tells you you suck, you go, okay, why do right. I suck? And if they don't have a reason, then they're idiots and they're not worth listening to. Um, so if someone's going to be like, hey, you suck, but this is how you improve, then you should pay attention. And I still pay attention to people when they tell me that. Um, I'm not above any kind of criticism. You know, um, in online, people will hide behind their computers and talk shit all day. And it's just kind of like, all right, buddy. Tell me why, you know, explain it to me, uh, show me an example, you know, tell me how I could do this better. And, you know, 99% of them are like, I was having a bad day (laughs) and I was just taking it out on you or I want to be an artist and it's not fair and I don't try. And therefore I just want to complain about people. And, you know, it's, you kind of, and with podcasting, I imagine you're going to, you need a thick skin. Because everybody's like, oh, podcasting, that looks easy. Um, let me tell you, you know, my opinion. It's just like, ah, okay. And it's a matter of how you filter it and what you take from it, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. I thank goodness the only people that usually contact us are, are being nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think that just being around a long time and being consistent and, and nice back, like, you know, same thing. It, it's just, that's how you get more people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell us how you started with uh, Metacrypt and becoming a t- tattoo artist apprentice. So you're at Cauldron Tattoo with under Mike Moses. Both of these relationships must have been pretty tight to begin with. Yeah. So Metacrypt started out with Justin Jewett. Uh, he was my web designer, uh, ordered something for me and it took me like two months to send it to him. And I had a <laughs> show in San Francisco. So he came down he's like, Hey man, I'm Justin. Um, I ordered some for you and I Do you need some help. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He's like, your website sucks. And I was like, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, we became friends after that. And then, um, years later, the people from the Warp Tour wanted to do a toy, and they're like, hey, we want you to design a toy for us, and can you find out how much it costs? So Justin was a bigger collector of toys than I was, and by this time, he was doing web design with uh, like Super 7 and stuff like that, and uh, Kid Robot, and so he was more connected than I was. And so we started doing all the legwork to find out what it costs to produce a toy, and then I went back to the Warp Tour people and said, these are the numbers, and they're like, yeah, no, that's too expensive. I was like, okay, whatever. And then um, not long after that, Justin had an opportunity where he could trade web design services for production. He's like, you want to do a toy? I was like, fuck yeah, man. And we just took all the stuff that we loved as stupid juvenile teenagers, you know, HP Lovecraft, terrible heavy metal music, you know, bad movies like Trick or Treat or The Gate or something like that. And then um, (laughs) D&D and uh, 
and boobs, you know, it was, uh, so this, uh, this toy is kind of like a Baphomet kind of character and on the back, um, influence from fear and loathing, you know, this character, this, this monster has these set of boobs on it and it's just this really weird thing. And, um, what we did unknowingly and successfully, I guess, uh, the, Japanese vinyl toys, kaiju toys, um, are they, they're kaiju because they're produced in Japan, they use Japanese vinyl, and only because the first Godzilla toys um, were produced in Japan. If they were produced in Poland, then it would be more important that these toys were produced in Poland. But these, because they were produced in Japan, um, it was very important for us to produce the toy there. And um, uh, the characters that a lot of these guys would come up with were very derivative of existing characters. And we approached it differently. And with my lack of experience with collecting these toys, I didn't have a lot that would influence me. And so that helped us create something that stood out. And that's all you can really hope to do as an artist or even a podcaster is not copy everybody, but more create something that is needed and hasn't been done yet, you know, and that's, it's, you're going to have more longevity that way, you know, as like an artist, you know, you're trying to find a style, don't rip people off, be influenced, but then really strive to do your own thing. And that's what we did as Metacrypt. And um, it became very successful and in a way that, we're not rich, I you know, but we we don't have to go out of pocket every time we do a release. So yeah, we've been doing that, and then uh, this year I'm going to be working with Urban Vinyl Daily Toys in Dayton, Ohio, and we're going to do something that doesn't really fit with the Metacrypt um, mold, pun intended, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're going to do like this goofy little ghost boner character that I started out as Tattoo Flash. And, I saw uh, that. I, I did it because... I thought it was funny. It, yeah, I did it because uh, Mike Moses, my mentor at Cauldron Tattoo, was like, hey, okay, okay, now you need to draw some Flash. And I got really nervous because, you know, it's it's like walking into a record store and going, buy one album. It's like, oh shit, which album do I want to buy? You know, or buy 10, which 10 albums do I want? And so I, I panicked and I was looking at the flash he was doing, but I didn't want to copy him, but he had done this ghost flash and I was like, all right, I just need to just draw a ghost with a boner, <laughs> you know? And, uh, it just came to you. No, no, also yes. no pun intended. <laughs> um, so it kind of started out that way and I just kind of hit it in all the other flash that I had drawn. And that became the most popular and Mike's just shaking his head <laughs> and he knows, he knows my personality and, and my sense of humor. Whereas, you know, I try not to be too serious about everything. Um, so, uh, yeah, it became very popular and people were getting it tattooed on them. And, uh, I presented it to Travis at urban final daily toys. They need a shorter name. Um, <laughs> Uh, I was like, hey, uh, they were doing enamel pins. I was like, do you guys want to do this pin? He's like, uh, what if we did a toy? Can you do some turnarounds? I was like, sure, okay, why not? And so, um, uh, unless they die in a plane crash, which I hope they don't, um, that's something that they're going to try to produce by spring or summer, which would be cool. Um, just to say, look, more dumb stuff I did, you know. Um, I think, uh, well, it's fun though, right? So, yeah, yeah. And, when I'm asked for advice by young artists, I can't tell them everything they've already heard, like stay in school, don't do drugs, all that crap. It's more like being an artist is all about what you can get away with. And once you get past all the scary stuff of trying a new style or a new type of job, you should 
really be energized by that and just go, okay, what can I do now? And I've, this is what keeps me excited about being an artist. Everybody gets bored with every, with whatever they're doing. So, you know, since this is my day job, how do I keep it interesting? Um, Cause it's up to me mm-hmm. and nobody else. And so, yeah, doing dumb stuff like this or pins or patches or, you know, t-shirts or whatever, it's not a lot of money in it, but it's a lot of, I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. So the Metacrypt thing happened with Justin and uh, that's doing great. Justin has his own like sideline of toys he does really well with and uh, which doesn't fit under Metacrypt. So we're going into our seventh year with that. And then with tattooing, I met Mike Moses on the streets of New York. I was coming home from my studio in the East Village. I lived in the East Village. My studio is in Queens. And I was coming home and I passed one of my friends, Becky Clunan, who's this amazing comic book artist. If you ever get a chance, check her out. And the coolest, she knows more about metal music than anyone I know. Like she is way too cool for me. <laughs> so um, she hadn't seen me in a while and my mom had passed and, uh, Instead of getting like a an obnoxious mom tattoo or you know ending up in the gutter, um, I just grew my I I never had a beard before, so I just grew it out, and I just wanted to be, look and feel like a different person. That was my coping mechanism. So she hadn't seen me, and I'm walking down the street. I'm like, "Hey, Becky, what's up?" And she just kind of looked at me like, "Who? Who are who you? Who the fuck are you? Like, stay away from me, homeless guy." <laughs> and um, I guess she and Mike were talking at that moment how there's some crazy dude stalking her. <laughs> <laughs> And she didn't, you know, like, and I was like, Becky, it's me, Brian. She's like, oh my God. And uh, she introduced me to Mike right there. And uh, Mike's like, hey, how's it going? I'm a tattoo artist. And he had a, he worked at a shop uh, a couple blocks from where I lived. And we knew some of the same people. So he tattooed some of my friends. I went in there. uh, We talked. We, and then we started hanging out. And then it was like, hey, man, I'm going to, I'm taking off. I'm moving to Columbus, Ohio. He's like, oh, shit. So I moved there. And then six months later, he moved there because he met his now fiance. And um, he's kind of like you. He, he doesn't really dig the subways and, you know, all the all the commotion that's going on. So he was pretty happy to leave on good terms as well. And um, so once he moved here, we started hanging out again. He didn't know too many artists. And um uh, after a couple of years, uh, I was about to leave and move back to LA. I just wasn't really successful with making friends. Um, I tried really hard. I would just be like, will you be my friend? Will you be my friend? <laughs> just going up to anybody that like talked to me or anything like that. And I'm sure I scared people because of it. Um, <laughs> and like dating sucked and all this other stuff. And whenever I traveled to LA, I would come back with a job. I would get a chance to hang out with my friends. So I really missed it. And I was like, yeah, Mike, you know, let's grab a beer. You know, I want to talk to you. I'm going to, I'm going to move back to LA. And he's like, no, you can't. I need you here, man. You know, you're fun to hang out with. And we had talked about him apprenticing me, but, um, it's just politics got in the way with a business partner he had. And, um, so he's like, no, you start tomorrow. You show up at the shop tomorrow and you're apprenticing. If you don't show up, I'm going to be really upset. So I was like, okay, I showed up the next day and I started apprenticing. So it was, it was an offer I couldn't refuse. And, um, I really respect Mike as an artist and a person, but I was also a fan. So it was really flattering to have someone who I have a lot of respect for offer to teach me something that not everybody gets to be taught. I work with another guy at the shop named Gregory Lam and, uh, he put it succinctly he's like you can't just walk into a tattoo shop and become a tattoo artist you have to be invited you know and so consider yourself lucky 
you know, and that was really profound to me. And uh, so I've been apprenticing with Mike for a little over two years now and tattooing for about that time too. And uh, my apprenticeship's pretty close to finish. It's kind of like whenever he says, and I'm not worried about it, you know, it's not like mm-hmm. better be January 31st. It's like, I'm so happy with the progress I've made. And so is Mike that I'm, you know, I'm cool. You know, it's, it's, I thought like an asshole, you know, when I first started, I was like, dude, I'm going to be done with this apprenticeship in like six months. <laughs> I had no idea how hard it was. Um, I had to unlearn a lot of things that worked really well with illustration and posters. It doesn't apply with tattooing. And I tell a lot of my professional artist friends who are like, dude, I'm so jealous. It's like, I don't know about that. Tattooing is one of the hardest things I've ever done. I would just tell them, like, if you ever want to feel like you suck as an artist, try tattooing. Because whatever ego or confidence you have will just get crushed. Because there's no command Z. There's no erasing. You know, paper (laughs) doesn't sweat. Paper doesn't move. Paper isn't nervous. And when your client is nervous, you become nervous. So you have to be very good at talking to people. And I realized I was terrible at talking to people until I started tattooing. And I was like, okay, how do I calm this person down other than saying, calm down? You know, so you just are like, all right, so what do you do for a living? You know, what do you, you know, what kind of music are you into? What are you doing this weekend? <laughs> you know, you got anything cool coming up? So I learned not just the, the, the physical mechanics of tattooing. I had to learn how to talk to people. I had to learn tattoo history. You know, there's a lot of history and between Mike and Greg and there's a new guy there named Emmanuel Mendoza, who's just amazing. With the three of them, I'm learning a lot about art and a lot about humility because you can always get a second course, you know, a refresher on humility. And I'm learning a lot about the history and just uh, how to work around other artists because I never had to, you know, you don't realize how spoiled you are until you do something like that. It's, I apologize, you know, part of my French, but it was, it was a kick in the dick, you know, it was very like <laughs> deflating because you're no longer this one person. You're one person in a room full of other really amazing artists. And uh, it's not always going to be about mm-hmm. you. And some days it's never about you. And a lot of people that come in don't know I do poster art. And when they find out they're, they're impressed or blown away. But when Mike will go, oh, hey, you know, this is my apprentice. They'll just go, yeah, whatever. You know, because to them, that's like beneath them. And it's like, yeah, man, fuck you. You know, I've had some people just be like totally rude to me. And then all of a sudden, Mike would be like, have you ever seen this work? And I'm like, no. And they check it out and they're like, oh, hey, man, how's it going? You know, trying to be nice to me after that. So it's taught yeah. me a lot. And snobs are just, uh, you know, it's tattoo not like snobs. they're tattoo artists. But when they hear the word apprentice, they think less of you. And it's like, ah, okay, whatever. And it's very healthy for me to, you know, to hear that, I guess, because, uh, you know, when you start really loving the smell of your own farts, you think everybody else does too, you know, and um, <laughs> it's good to know that, like, I still have some room to grow, you know, as a person and as an artist. And um, being around those three guys, uh, Mike, Greg, and Emmanuel, they're not assholes. They're not, they're not talking about how great they are or how great their fart smell or anything like that. So um, it's a good lesson for me to to take from them is to be humble, you know, but not appreciate or celebrate what you do. Um, so when people walk into tattoo shops, they're like, oh, man, these guys are so cool. I am not cool enough. And we're all like, hey, guys, what's up? You know, 
we're going to put on some cure or, you know, we're going to, uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to play like the weekend, you know, or some, you know, whatever. And we're going to offer you like, you know, some water or some coffee. And we're just going to like talk to you like normal people. And people are blown away by that because they expect, you know, what they see on TV, you know, and we're, we're not yes. even forcing ourselves to not be like that. It's just kind of how it is. You know, I think that you understand that over time. Oh, yeah. Because when you're a kid, like it just seems like very fancy to be a, a tattoo artist. Yeah. But then yeah. when you get older, I totally have like a different experience now. It is more like hanging out yeah. while you're getting a tattoo and, you know, you are just listening to music and having normal conversations. And yeah, yeah mm -hmm. you feel like people are fancy because they can, they're great artists, but yeah. Uh, at the same time, when they're nice, it's it's kind of like you kind of forget that for a second and you're able to just have fun, I guess, and be in the moment. One thing I like about tattooing is that it's still one of those trades that you have to learn that way or you should learn that way. There's not a whole lot of other other stuff like that anymore. Well, you could be a kitchen wizard, as they call them. You know, some some person who buys a machine online. You can get them through Amazon, I guess, or even Walmart. And you can just practice on your friends until you give them all hepatitis, you know, or they get gangrene or something or a staph infection. Or you can learn the traditional way. And, you know, a lot of the old school guys want to keep it old school. And there's been an influx of more tattoo artists. And the only good thing about that is uh, that influx has brought in better artists. And so if you're old school, it it'll make you step up your game in order to keep up with all that. But there's a lot of just smoke, you know, being blown up everybody's asses with, with tattooing, you know, and social media and television, stuff like that. And if you can find an artist who just treats you like a normal person, you're going to have a better time. It's not worth paying $900 an hour mm -hmm. to get tattooed by someone who's so famous that they don't want to even like talk to you. You know, they'll just have like headphones on while they tattoo you and stuff like that. And I don't know, you know, I guess uh, some people want that. That's just not really, you know, a healthy thing, I guess, for, for the, us at the shop to have. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of humility. <laughs> and uh, the, the irony is uh, I'm 10 years older than my mentor. And uh, when people walk into the shop for the first time, they come up to me and they think I'm the owner because I <laughs> have long hair and a gray beard and all that. And it's like, nope, that's that guy over there, the young looking one. I'm that's the Mike, apprentice. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're just like, what is going on? You know, so it's a lot of fun. Um, I don't take it personally. You know, I can't. A lot of stuff I just let roll off my back. You know, it's just like whatever. And the apprenticeship's been pretty cool because it's like I said it's influencing my commercial art now and I used to be so strict I had all these rules about art that were stupid you know it was just me and my insecurities and I went into tattooing really insecure about that too like when you learn you have to copy old traditional tattoo flash and I felt so terrible about that like I was stealing and they had to explain it to me several times. You're not stealing. This is how you learn. This you're learning composition, you're learning line quality, you're learning, you know, uh, line economy, which is basically the less lines the better. And um, that made more sense to me. And now I'm letting that. I feel now that I put in a little more than two years that being influenced by tattoo art is okay to let that influence my commercial art too. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of all these rules we make up that we don't tell anybody and we just, you know, are crippled by them. So 
Yeah, fun times. <laughs> or they're in your head and they're assumed, yeah. but yeah. you kind of, it's nice to have someone tell you like, yeah, no, yeah. like don't. But you have to hear it several times. Don't worry times, about though. it. It's normal. I think um, it's like that with art. For me, I'll like, I'll feel the same way. Like I'll feel like I'm, if I'm doing a certain technique that you're copying whoever you're sure. uh, influenced by and yeah. that someone, if they ever want to buy it, they're going to know that, but they're probably a fan too. So that's not that big of a deal. If they like that person and they like yours, then that's probably why, because they are influenced by the same person or I don't know. Or they see potential, you know, and when I meet artists and they ask for advice, you know, the first thing would be uh, get more influences. Don't be just singular, get be be many and and you'll develop a style naturally that way. Yeah, you know, like... Be yourself. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like music, you know. Um, I'm going to bring this back to Weezer. Like when I was younger, I used to get made fun of for listening to Weezer, you know. Because uh, <laughs> I... Because you were in like the metal punk... Yeah, scene. yeah, yeah, and you know, and it wasn't cool. Is it okay if we go off script and just kind of like talk about yeah. that stuff, or I don't know? Okay, well, like, like the first time I I um, heard Weezer was uh, the Sweater Song, you know, MTV. You know, that was everybody's introduction to music. You know, unless yes. you're reading like zines or you worked at a record store, um, and then radio Buddy Holly, and MTV. Yeah, and Buddy Holly came out, and my friends would just be like, "That's not metal." It's stupid. Look at these guys. They're stupid. Guitar solos. They have short <laughs> hair. And so I remember hearing that. And then I moved to Minneapolis and the Green Album came out. And those same guys were like, dude, Hashpipe is such a cool song. And I'm just sitting there like rolling my eyes like, man, fuck you guys. <laughs> Made me feel insecure about this. You guys suck. You know, so yeah. Sorry. Well, Hashpipe is a cool song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't really smoke weed, so I'm not like... You know, like, yeah, man, 420, bro. Even though I probably look like I do, I just, uh, that, that whole Catholic upbringing just, like, scared the shit out of me. And it's, you know, just so weird. So, uh, yeah, you know, like, Hash Pipe, yeah, it's a cool song. You know, like, uh, I like the other songs. That's cool. But, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of bands, I wanted, I personally wanted to know what it was like to work with Queens of the Stone Age because I saw that you did. Have you done more than one poster with them? or? Yeah, I think... Um, I don't even know, maybe like five or six. So, you know, oh, wow. earlier when I was saying... So you've worked with them a lot. Yeah. To, you know, have a repeat business with somebody, that is something I'm really proud of because a band like Queens of Stone Age actually has a say in the poster art. You know, there's a group of people and then the band is also involved. If they didn't like what I was doing, they would never hire me again. And so it's really... Uh, flattering and enabling to hear that. You know, it's a good thing. Um, so when I was younger, uh, those same friends of mine, I didn't have many friends, but we we all kind of defined ourselves by the music we listened to. You know, if you see somebody wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt, you're like, I like Iron Maiden. I like that person. So my friends introduced me. They're like, hey, there's this really cool band called Kias or Caius? We don't know. And uh, <laughs> so we started listening to them. And, uh, you know, this is during a time when um, this music was not popular. It was called Stoner Rock. And uh, which Frank Kozik, uh, that artist I mentioned earlier, had a lot. To, he, he started a record label that helped a lot of those bands get big, including Queens of the Stone Age. Um, so because Frank Kozik was involved with 
Pius and Queens of the Stone Age, I took a special interest because he did a lot of artwork for them. So I was like, I'm going to check this band out. This could be rad. And we would see them play and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, we'd follow every release. And then when the band broke up and did Queens of the Stone Age, like I got to see them on their first tour. They played at this really tiny venue um, next door to the 7th Street entry in Minneapolis called the, uh, no, wait, it was First Avenue. And the tiny venue was called Seventh Street Entry, and there was probably like twenty, thirty people there, and it's like this basement venue, and it sucked. And uh, it was a great show. And then after that, like, I was very fortunate that when, well, when people ask, like, you know, who are your favorite bands, I don't really have favorite bands because my job is part of my job is listening to music, and so my time is taken up by whoever I'm working for at that moment. Um, so uh oddly enough like i was looking at like my spotify you know recap of 2018 i listened to over seventy-five thousand minutes of music and no bullshit uh the top band was weezer you know um because <laughs> uh pacific pacific daydream had come out and i listened to that like a lot because oh me too it was very calming but um so yeah queens <laughs> of the stone age so for me bands that i like end up becoming clients and clients end up becoming bands i like which has always been the case i I've discovered new music that way because I have to, you know, I have to get into this band. It's a job. And um, so like with Queens of the Stone Age, I was already there, you know, and it was really weird to one day finally get a chance to say like this band I'm a huge fan of is now a client. I get to do something and uh, yeah, it was, it's pretty cool. Like I don't go out of my way to meet the bands, you know, to be honest, it's not, it's a byproduct of doing this job, but it's not my it doesn't really get me out of bed. You know, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it is, but it's, it's, if I don't meet a band, I'm not crushed because sometimes when I've met bands, it's been some of the worst experiences ever. You know, it's so awkward. It's worse than like a blind date sometimes where you're just kind of like, so you like water? I like water. You know, like you just got nothing to talk about. So with Queens of the Stone Age, uh, like I've, I've met Nick Oliveri and, Brant Bjork and stuff like that. He used to play with Caius and sometimes with Queens. Yeah, I guess uh, I got the poster gig because uh, this guy named Jermaine Rogers, who helped me out when I was getting started in posters, he was already doing them. They did a series um, and they asked me to be a part of it and I was really flattered. And a couple of years later, I was like, hey, can you hook me up with their management? And he did, which was really nice of him. He doesn't have to. And um, I just started working for them uh there's this guy uh he owns oh shit what is it called fireside and they were in charge of uh this guy spelly was in charge of kind of curating the the band's merchandise and their tour posters and uh i went to la one time after doing a few posters i was like hey man you want to grab a beer or something because it's really important to meet your clients so we go down there and uh again when people meet me they have uh, I have a good experience with them. They do, they have one with me and they want to hire me again. So since then, Spelly would just hit me up and be like, hey man, you know, you want to do this poster? And the last one I did for Columbus, which is like this old take from a, a romance comic book cover, um, uh, uh, their tour, their merch guy, uh, this guy, Mike Ricci, super cool dude. If you love Morrissey, he'll love you, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, he had come in. He's like, hey, man, I got a couple hours before I have to get to work, you know, for the show. Can, can I get a tattoo? And I'm like, oh, hell yeah, dude. And I had talked to him many times prior. And I tattooed him. He gets to the venue. He's like, hey, these aren't 
numbered. And I was like, I didn't know I had to number them. So I had to go backstage while the band's just like walking back and forth. And everybody's kind of <laughs> looking at me one, like, what's this two? dude? <laughs> Pretty much, you know, like, don't talk to me. I'm going to fuck this up. <laughs> um, and everybody's just kind of looking at me like, why is this guy back here signing these posters? And so, yeah, I'm not sure if that was a good story or not. Uh, <laughs> but seeing the band has always been cool and their management's always been really nice. And uh, that's just kind of where it starts and ends. Like the band's, the bigger they are, the less influence they'll have on you working for them. Um, and so, okay, so there wasn't a lot of feedback back and forth with them. No, which is great. Um, whenever you have, you know, a band art directing you is going to be a nightmare and uh, stressful. Uh, I could spend like six more hours talking about a couple experiences I've had with like the Warp Tour and stuff like that. Great people, but this one agency had this great idea of having the bands art direct me. And I was like, please don't do that. And they're like, why not? And I was like, well, you have to get four people to agree on something. And number two, that's my job. Like I, if you want me to do it, I will do it. (laughs) It's like, can I tell them how to write a song? You know, cause you know, I'm not a musician, but you know, they, they're not artists. So yeah. So as an artist, if you're wanting to do rock posters, uh, get to know the bands, but also get to know the people that manage them. And uh, same with you, you know, podcasting. It's like you can say, hey, Rivers, let's do an interview. Be like, yeah, sure. And totally forget. But if you go, hey, Rivers manager, let's do an interview. Be like, I'll make sure that happens. You know, that's just kind of how it is. So you have to do it the right way. And also there's, yeah, there are right and wrong ways. And uh, yeah, I think the only reason that I got to interview Carl's because I went to a Carl's corner and talk to him like a normal person and just ask him him a bunch of Weezer questions and gave him some stickers. And he was like, oh, okay, well, this is cool. And like, <laughs> cool. saw him again later, probably a year later. And I was like, he said, oh, are you still doing it? And I'm like, yeah, said, I want to go on. I'll go, I want to go on your thing. And I was like, okay, cool. And just kind of was a nerd. And I sent him like a list of podcasts about Weezer and mentioning Weezer because I have like a creepy spreadsheet that I like anytime I hear some other podcaster mention Weezer I like make a note of it so I have like this list of like Weezer <laughs> mentions oh wow and... or the six degrees of Weezer or something <laughs> I don't know yes you can have that that was dumb sorry no it's okay I drink too much coffee you probably well we have a six degrees of Weezer like Venn cr- diagram yeah, Kevin Bacon fit so, in there anywhere? Uh, I'm sure he is. I'm just going to add him for fun, though. All right. <laughs> so we have a contest. So the contest is uh, there will be a form on our website when this comes out, and you're going to fill it in. It's just your name and email and I think address so we can mail you the prize. But after we air the episode and uh, I wait a couple weeks, we're going to put a timeline on there. I will randomly choose uh, with my eyes closed three winners. And what will what's everybody going to win, Brian? So I squirreled away a couple of sets of the Weezer prints that I did. Um, so there'll be the regular set that I sell off my website. But then there are two San Diego Comic-Con exclusives with The Walking Dead. There's the red version, and then there's the kind of like black x-ray version. And those sold out right away at at Comic-Con. And that was how many years ago? Like five years ago? 
I can't remember. So I've just been sitting on them, and I just moved uh, a couple months ago and uh, found them, and I was like, I should probably do something with these. And then when the opportunity came up to be interviewed, I was like, well, why don't I just give them away? And that'd be kind of cool, because I would people would email me all the time, like, hey, do you have these? And I was too lazy to check. And so instead of selling them, um, I think it would be fun to do as a giveaway. Um that is really, really, really cool uh, of you to do in the first place, like giveaway art. Um, but people love free shit. So. Yeah, but like <laughs> you know, to give away these rarer ones that you can't really get anymore is yeah, really, really nice. So, uh, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much, Brian, for coming on the show. His social media is at Brian Ewing, which is B-R-I-A-N-E-W-I-N-G. And he's on Facebook. He's on Instagram. And he is also on Twitter. And um, you can check out his documentary called Making It on Facebook. It's facebook.com backslash making dash it. His website is www.brianewing.com. And be sure to check out episode number 41, which will feature the final part of the interview with Brian and song discussion on the world has turned and left me here. So if you like the show, please rate, review, subscribe to We Are Weezer on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at We Are Weezer. You can write to us at WeAreWeezerForever at gmail.com. Please tag us on Instagram. I love to see Weezer pictures. Tweet us on Twitter. And you can just email us at We Are Weezer Forever if you just want to talk about Weezer or if you have anything you want to share. And thank you, Brian, for the sound. And thanks everybody for listening. I hope you liked our mini and adios. We are Weezer. We are Weezer. We are Weezer. And I love you.